Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you on this Tuesday, November the 24th of 2020. It's so amazing just how much time has passed. Uh, just a few months ago, we were we began these podcasts in the month of March out of necessity, and here we are in November already, and time has passed, and so many things. Uh, from the time that this pandemic began, things have changed drastically and are changing even as we speak, not just here uh, in our nation, but all over the world. I was thinking, brothers, that how how much this, um, what has happened here in America and what is taking place in terms of all the protest and the attitude, how much that is shaping and, and influencing other countries to do the same, almost like a rebellion, a fighting, a violence that is erupting, not just here, but all over the nations. And all of this is telling. But this is why we gather in our podcast, and that is to to see these things from the lens of prophecy, from the lens of the spirit of prophecy, to see what God is saying in this hour. Well, we welcome you. We want to welcome all our listeners today. We want to thank you for tuning in and being able to share this time with us as we fellowship in the Word of God. So we're going to get right into our study of the Word today. Uh, We'd like to welcome our panel today, Brother Marty and Brother Fernando, as always. It is a pleasure to be able to study the Word of God together. So we'll leave it to you, Brother Marty. I just wanted to say, as I was meditating about uh, yesterday a little bit, uh, I couldn't help but think how... Uh, we see through the parables that Jesus gave, gave and through the examples and the stories that we hear of, of, of Noah, in the last days, it's the preparation of the people. It's how God found his people, his servants. And I think that's very telling, how the preparation that is taking place in our lives, because how will God find us? Will he find us waiting? Will he find us watching? Will he find us, um, you know, uh, waiting for him and laboring in his vineyard? And so we were so blessed yesterday. We're looking forward to today, what God has for us. And I know God has something fresh for us. So, Brother Marty, I'll leave it to you to share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Amen. We're... uh... We're looking forward to today's uh, reflections and studies in the Word of God, and uh, and that's a really good point, Brother Jeremy. I mean, that is one of the things that that the Lord uh, asked. He said, "When the Son of Man returns, uh, will he find faith on the earth?" Which is really quite a statement if you think about it, because he's referencing the second coming of the Lord as Judge. And that statement always used to uh, cause me to have consternation, really, to be amazed at such a thing. Because like we've talked about before, you would think, or at least, you know, in our own understanding, the many things that the Bible has predicted would happen and would come to pass in the final days uh, would seem to be an obvious um, signpost, marker, whatever you want to call it, uh, to the generation that would be alive at those times, uh, that the coming of the Lord was at hand. 
And so the statement that the Lord made, and really what you pointed out when you were just uh, sharing there, uh, how would the Lord find his people? Would he find them uh, in expectation, or would he find them asleep? And time and time again, he warned against that. Not simply from a point of view that um, would imply that, you know, people would become careless in a sense, you know, hot and cold, which he does reference in Revelation 3 um, to the Laodicean church. But but seriously, what he was trying to do, I believe, and what he was revealing, I should say, to us, uh, as he spoke in other places many times, because iniquity would abound. He said the love of many would wax cold. He was describing a condition upon the planet that goes far beyond just everyday experience. He was revealing to us the kind of intensity uh, of of spiritual influence and warfare that would come down upon the believer. Uh, so much so that he said the love of many would wax cold. That the, the event-driven times of the end, uh, if we were not guarding ourselves, our hearts, our minds, and and continually, uh, you know, striving to allow the Holy Spirit to make us what he wants us to make, the the effect of, of the lack of that kind of intensity and, and really the kind of intensity that, that must be realized and understood and, and serve to warn each and every one of us individually uh, that, that we are headed into those times that he predicted. They're already here, really. But they're going to increase. They're going to become increasingly more difficult in the days ahead. And and that's what we're going to look at a little bit today. And uh, our, our usual custom is is to is to kind of give an overview and then read the scripture. But I want to make a few statements first, and then we'll get into the scripture. And so I'm going to ask the Lord's blessing, Brother Jeremy. Would you would you ask the Lord's blessing in Jesus' name for for this podcast today? Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, once again, Lord, for the opportunity and the privilege that you give us to be able to handle your word, God, in such a time like this, Lord. And thank you for the fellowship of our listeners that are tuning in together as we seek to glean from your word, God, understanding the urgency and the times that we are living, God. Lord, we don't want to do no violence to your word, but to simply Allow it to say what it says, God. Father, I pray that your presence will be upon us as, as, Lord, as you speak to us, Lord. And as we discuss, Lord, what you want us to, uh, to hear today, Lord. Give us ears and give us eyes to see, Lord. And, Father, I ask you to speak also to the need of your people, Lord. And, Father, let this word encourage, exhort, allow us, Lord, to challenge us and to make us aware of where we're at at such a time in history. We bless you, and we seek to honor you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, as we begin our podcast today here in the United States, as we know, uh, it's Thanksgiving week. And this is a Thanksgiving week unlike any I can speak for myself. I know my brothers could probably say the same thing. And those of you that are listening out there, this is really a Thanksgiving week that is unlike any that I've uh, participated in in my entire lifetime. As as many of of the uh, 
the different states across the country have been ordered uh, by their governors and local officials. Um, they've ordered the people not not to gather in some places in Chicago. I think they, they they're attempting to cancel Thanksgiving, or they've so curtailed it with their Orwellian laws reaching into our very homes, telling us you know uh, if we do gather that we can't have more than in some places five people, in other places ten people max. You have to wear a, a mask. Now they're saying in New York, in in, uh, in Pennsylvania, you have to wear a mask inside your house during Thanksgiving. Only take it off while you're at the dinner table with with the 2.5 people that they're letting you have. Um, you know the the 2. limit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's absurd, man. I mean, and then and then to top it off, this week yesterday, the the, the president of the United States. Uh, he ordered the uh, the GSA, that's the uh, General Services Administration, which is responsible for uh, for helping transitions in government. Uh, he ordered the uh, the GSA to begin the process uh, of moving the government towards a the transition of power. For all intents and purposes, making that move, uh, declaring even before uh, the Electoral College has been seated. Uh, and, and the official declaration of a president-elect be made, he sent us a, a strong signal uh, of a white flag uh, being waved of surrender or the inevitable, you know, a collective sigh of confusion and dismay in the church. I could, I could feel it in the United States. It really could be felt among many uh, within the church who didn't anticipate such a move by the president, especially since the truth about the election hasn't been settled. And there's so much within, uh, you know, the, the, the social media and, and the different sites and news agencies, I mean, the, all these voices, but, but the, it's really, really open and apparent that something very sinister took place. And, uh, and it's worth fighting for, maybe, who knows? You know, that's the question that's being asked. And uh, and so when that statement was made yesterday, actually in a tweet uh, that, that, you know, he had ordered his administration to begin the transition process, it really uh, hit a lot of people uh, with confusion and dismay. You know, what strikes me is the absolute clueless, you know, on the other end, I'm not going to talk about the world, but I'm going to talk about the church, you know, because what strikes me is the absolute clueless, what, babble uh, that is emerging from, and really that has been emerging on the national religious leadership scale when it comes to the guidance of the church and the understanding of the times, uh, they're clueless. And not only them, but also the so-called pastors across the land who at best have been preaching I don't know what, butterflies and flowers <laughs> trying to soothe their congregations when the truth is what we really need right now are men of God that are willing to wake the people up. Mm. The Lord Jesus, you know, he rebuked the, the the religious leadership of his day, telling them that they were hypocrites. You know, that word hypocrites that he used there, uh, it, it literally comes uh, from the idea of one who wears a mask like an actor. That's what he called them. You cover your face and pretend to be something that you're really not. You're a hypocrite. And he said, you can discern the face 
of the earth and of the sky, he said. But how is it that you can't discern this time? That's what he asked him. How is it that you can't discern the time? And that's the question that's being laid at the feet of many of the leadership in this uh, religious establishment across the country, at every doorstep of everyone who ever dares to stand up and to hold the Bible in their hand and to guide and direct the people of God. I'm asking you, how is it you can't discern the times? You know what, man? I am so tired of what I've seen over the last four years. Seriously. <laughs> uh, the charismatic Pentecostal and the denominational leadership in this country. Mm -hmm. By and large, they sold out the rank-and-file congregation. The sincere churches, the decent and small-town pastors, the, the loving people in their communities who love the Lord, they sold them out. And you say, how did they do that? I, I think by linking their influence, uh, that is, you know, the, the leaders linking their influence with a political party and agenda and really abrogating their spiritual responsibility in exchange for photo ops, book sales, tours of the White House, touting the MAGA movement, and a president they call Cyrus. Even now, with their false prophets and their weak leadership fully exposed, the mindless megachurch sheep double down on their world-centered kingdom now foolishness, because that's what it is. It is not only to them that I'm speaking, though, this morning. They, they are what they are. And now, really, they're only going to get worse going forward. Because they've exchanged the truth of the return of the Lord for a lie, for comfort in this world. But what comfort are you going to have in these coming days? You have no idea what's ahead of you because you're spiritually blind. You haven't prayed if you ever did in, in months or years. Your sermons before the shutdowns of January 2020 were nothing more than uh, feel-good, you know, uh, Dale Carnegie inspirational kind of, <laughs> you know, psychobabble. That's what you that's what you were giving the people when 2020 emerged. You know, really, I'm sorry to sound so intense, but for me, the time for mincing words has ended. It really has. The rubber's hitting the road. It's black and white. It's not gray. And we're going to have to decide what it is we're going to do in these times because a division is actually taking place, whether you can see it or not. And you know what, man? It's really easy to scold and expose the obvious, right? But what of those who do know and who know better? What of them? They know, but they don't allow themselves to be trained by the Holy Spirit, especially now. I'm talking about the lazy ones, the apathetic ones. How many days have, have been uh, wasted with only minimal at best efforts to seek God, to find answers to the times, vital revelation which we need so much now, not only for our families, and for our communities, but for our fellow brothers and sisters in the church who are who are searching for the North Star, if you will, who, who need a compass, a guidance. They turn to the church, they look to their leaders, and they find nothing. I could speak at length from a political point of view, but, you know, on these issues of the day, I've done my homework, so I'm fully aware of what's going on.
What about you? What about you, preacher? What have you done? What are you doing? Jeremiah said, if you get wearied with the footman, what are you going to do when the when the cavalry shows up? You get tired, you know, <laughs> reading a paragraph in the Bible. What are you going to do when all hell's breaking loose? And it's just over the horizon, trust me. What are you going to do then when you find yourself absolutely empty? When your children are looking at you saying, what are the answers? What's happening? And you have no answers. You have nothing to say. What are you going to do then? But rather than focusing on the political things of the day, rather than that, let's be bold today, you know. <laughs> and rather than, than focusing on the political landscape, let's look at what's coming. Because no matter the outcome in the next several weeks, the truth is, is that January 2020 that began this year, it is absolutely, like Brother Jeremy was saying, it has absolutely, totally, radically changed the world, unless you haven't figured that out by now. And the truth is, we are now headed to what I believe the Holy Prophets and the Holy Apostles and the Lord himself really warned us would come. Those days are here. Isaiah spoke of these days. They were present in his times. And in truth, his prophecies have fully blossomed in our time. And remember, he wasn't addressing the world. He was addressing the church and the leadership of his day. And he told them why judgment had come and why judgment would come. My brothers and sisters, it's happening again. Only this time, it will be as he prophesied, it will culminate, trust me, with the coming of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to just briefly look at Isaiah 59 today. We won't keep you long today, but we want to leave you with, this, with these thoughts. And I want you to ask yourself, as we ask ourselves, what we're about to look at real quickly here. Does this not sound like the American church and America in our time? Brother Jeremy, with that in mind, and those of you listening, we're going to go through Isaiah 59 real quick and just point out some things. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, could you start reading there for us? Yes. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. See, what was going on in his day was, was judgment was coming upon Judah. The entire blessed nation of the Lord was about to be judged. The the inevitable had already been set in motion. And in many ways, what Isaiah begins to expose when these times would come down on them, he would tell them that in verse 1, it's not that the Lord can't save you, and it's not that he can't hear you. 
and, and, and in many ways he exposed to them what is being exposed to the compromised church and the leadership in our time and what it won't admit. By the Spirit of the Lord, Isaiah began to break down the culture and lay the legal and judicial case inspired by the Holy Spirit to why things were going to happen and ultimately what indeed did happen. He said, it's your iniquities, verse 2, that have separated you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he won't hear you. They had become, now we're, talking, we're not talking about the world now. We're talking about God's church in that time. And, and subsequently, when you read the prophecies through and thoroughly and truly look at them here in, in chapter 59 of Isaiah, he's talking about a far-flung future generation as well. We'll get into that in a second. But the principle is, because I believe America's church has reached this point. They're absolutely confused, and we'll see that in a second, because that happened in their time as well. But the first thing that he says, it's not a matter of whether God can, you know, change what's going on. And, and, and it's not like he, he doesn't have enough strength. That's what Isaiah was saying. His hand isn't shortened. It's not like he can't reach into the times and, and radically, uh, you know, alter them and, and bring about, you know, this great and, and, and you know, wonderful outcome that, that so many wish they had. But he gets to the heart of the matter. And I'm thinking as I'm talking right now, brothers, you can jump in at any time. I was thinking uh, of what we witnessed over the summer or at the end of the summer. Remember when they had those big prayer meetings in Washington, D.C., and they called people to the Washington Monument or wherever they were, Lincoln Memorial, I don't remember. Two different groups came, one representing the denominational world, one representing the Pentecostal and charismatic world. And I, as I'm thinking about this, you know, they came, and if you remember, those of you who were able to see it, and you can probably go online and see it, uh, you know, the what's been posted on YouTube and how they conducted their their call to revival and repentance. That was what they stated. They wanted to come to D.C. and they they used the uh, they used the uh, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, which are called by my name, that whole you know, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. And then I was struck by the fact that <laughs> you know people brought lawn chairs and you know, snacks, and they're waving their flags. It, it became, it turned into some sort of a, of a festival. Yeah. It was like a fest, right? <laughs> Do you remember? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, songs uh, like a concert, like a concert. Yeah. Let's sing mm -hmm. some songs of repentance. All right, somebody come over here and, and do a five-minute prayer and and then mm -hmm. go back, and then it's, this this now let's have somebody go come and give a poem of repentance, <laughs> or, you know, so forth. Yeah, it's so absurd. I mean, it's really sad. I don't mean to laugh or mock it. I'm just saying, wow. I mean, because I was thinking about that, because the issue was it was it, 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 it what it really exposed was the inability to fully understand, and we're all guilty of this. I'm not just laying the trip on that. Because I'm thinking of Daniel right now, like just before the end of the captivity, he came across Jeremiah's writings. And, and, and you go read that. I think it's Daniel 9, somewhere in there. Uh, and, and Daniel says, I understood by, the, by reading the prophet Jeremiah's words that it was time for the captivity to be loosed after 70 years of captivity in Babylon. And he said, so I set myself to pray. 
and and when you read his prayer, his prayer all is all about his own personal repentance for himself, for his father's house, and then for the for the nation as a whole. He prayed for his brothers and sisters as well. So we all stand guilty of this. I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to set ourselves apart as if we're higher and mightier than anyone. God forbid. I'm probably the worst out of everybody. So you know, I'm just telling you what we're seeing here and what we saw was a lack of true understanding and a true moving of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts right. to to Good cause morning. us to, to have true and solid repentance and what that really looks like. Yes, brother, go ahead. Yeah, sorry to interrupt, Brother Marty. Um, I was thinking about coupling that with all the false prophecies that have come out. You know, I know things can still change, but like you said yesterday, it seemed to be like a white flag being raised, right, by our, by our current president. Um, but but look at of all the damage that it has done. I mean, I've spoken yeah. to people who still hold on uh, to uh, to prophecies of a second term and, and blah, blah, blah. And even, you know, they gave me the name, and I'm like, that's like a false prophet, Right. <laughs> And, right. and and it made me think about something that I, I think in, I pray this fits in. It's, it's something that has always daunted me because just because one prophecy comes to pass doesn't mean, doesn't validate that that prophet, right? Because yeah. because of, of what Deuteronomy 13 says, if there's among you a prophet or a dreamer that giveth thee a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder comes to pass that he spoke of unto thee. But yet he tells you, right, go after other gods. What thou hast not known, let us serve them. He says, thou shalt not hearken the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God. What? He's proving you. He proves you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And and I think a lot of people have just been holding on, not to the word, but of, of, of false prophecies or things that have been said. But where are they now? All these things that they declare, this is going to be an easy win. This is going to be all of this. You know, and I think if you 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 marry all of that and then how they're bringing about this repentance, I mean, read read the book of Jonah. Look at what the king did, right? <laughs> all the people fasted, yeah. you know, and then what you're, you know, what you just brought up the example, you know, again, not to mock it, but to understand, uh, maybe they're not understanding the magnitude of where we're at. So what we know, from, what we know from the word, is that repentance is the gift of God, mm. right? Because the Bible says it is His goodness that leads you to repentance, right? Yes. So, so when we reach the point of critical mass, because that's what we're addressing here. When we reach the point of critical mass, it is when the Lord determines that the inevitability of the judgment that he has for decades, and in their case, the same thing, decades proclaimed and warned generation after generation, it ultimately comes down to the fact that, that they, they have reached a point of, of utter inability and have become incapable of truly hearing the word of the Lord. And truly receiving uh, the depth of what it is that God is pleading with them uh, to do. And, and what we witnessed over the summer was, was this, this, this attempt uh, to, to, 
to enter into some sort of repentant state. It was just so bizarre to me. Because like you guys were just saying, you know, a few songs, you know, a couple of guys would come up and read off a list. Oh, God, we repent of this. We repent of this. We repent of it. And they go down to the list. And I thought to myself, that is so different than what Joel said true repentance looks like. Let's take a look at that real quick. Over in Joel. Turn over there, Brother Jeremy, would you? Joel chapter 2. Let's see if I can find it here. Joel 2. Joel. Yes. Let's see. Chapter 2. Yeah, we'll read verse 1 to start with. <laughs> okay. It says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. So what we see uh, first and foremost is that is that a trumpet in Zion needs to be blown. And the trumpet's not a quiet instrument, but he says, sound an alarm. You know, and <laughs> what we witnessed over the summer was anything but an alarm. It was kind of a let's get together and have a kumbaya moment, shed of maybe a little tear in the corner of my eye, and, and then God, God's going to fix everything. But what Joel was seeing, what Isaiah was seeing, and what has come to rest in our times is precisely this. The day of the Lord is coming. And the day of the Lord to which we speak, we're not talking about the day of the Lord, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, where he comes on his white horse and rescues his church. The day of the Lord that is approaching is a day of great tribulation and, and great wrath that will ultimately be poured out upon uh, the wicked of the earth. But the interim is going to be so horrible. It's known as the hour of trial, the hour of temptation, the hour of darkness. And that's why the prophet is moved by the Spirit to declare that a trumpet needs to be sounded in Zion, that's the church, and an alarm in his holy mountain, that's Jerusalem, because the day of the Lord is at hand. And he goes on to describe it in verse Two, could you just read that, Brother Jeremy? A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick dark darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and the strong. There hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. Now, there are those who would identify verse 2, that great people he's talking about, as the Babylonian Empire. And in measure, that's true. But when you actually, uh, you know, properly interpret what Joel is talking about here, he's talking about the day of the Lord. And, and he identifies it as the end of time. That's the day of darkness, the day of gloominess, the day of clouds and a sick darkness. There's a lot there we won't get into. Uh, because it's not our full subject, but he identifies a great people and strong. In other words, a nation that will rise in the final time during the day of the Lord that will be unlike any nation the world has ever seen. And it will be the catalyst by which all this evil comes upon the planet. And he goes on to describe who they are and what they are like. And, and, of course, the Babylonian Empire was a foreshadow 
of this final one because what he identifies as that particular nation is one that will never be there has never been one like it ever I know that Mao Zedong in the 60s boasted that his nation could field an army of 200 million soldiers and that was the 60s I'll just leave that out there and we we encourage you to 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 read uh, the rest of that chapter but this is what true repentance looks like brother could you read to us uh, let's see verse uh, 15 and 16 blow the trumpet of chapter 2 of Joel mhm blow the trumpet in Zion Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Verse 17. Let the priest, the ministers of the Lord, Weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thy heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Where is their God? See, that's what's, that's what's here, brothers and sisters. That's what's coming. And here's the prescription in the mercy and the grace of the Lord that he gives to us. And if this doesn't convict you, <laughs> or at least trouble you in some sense, personally, as it does me, because of the list, it's comprehensive. It's the people. It's the congregations. It's the elders. It's the children. It's even the babies. I mean, he is saying that true repentance, as the Lord views it, the kind that will prevent the ultimate judgments, which he warned would come as a result of the iniquities and sins, which has turned God's face away from a nation that was once blessed by him. He says, you want to change things? Again, he emphasizes verse 15, to blow the trumpet, sanctify a fast, call an assembly, not just an assembly but a solemn assembly. And then he systematically goes down every single component of culture. Everybody, he says. And then he addresses the preachers in verse 17, right? The priests, the ministers of the Lord. And then he says this in verse 17, that they are called to weep between what? The porch and and the altar. It's very descriptive language. The porch is the place where they taught the people. And so he's referencing the porch as if to say, you need to weep in between the two. Between the teaching and the cross, you have created such a great gap that you need to go plant yourself right there and repent for what it is that you failed to say or what you did say that caused over generations of time a people to be brought up under the very, uh, you know, uh, the very, you know, few moments before judgment's about to fall on them. And he says, if you will put these things in place, verse 18, 
Then will the Lord be jealous for his land. Then will he pity his people. In verse 19, could you read that, Brother Jeremy? Yeah, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith. And I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. That's God's heart. That's what he's always wanted for our country. That's what he wanted for Judah in its waning days. And even then, in the midnight hour, as judgment was fast approaching, because the the issue was that the heathen would rule over them. If you have eyes to see, and I said I wasn't going to get political, so I'm not. But if you have eyes to see, we are just weeks away. And the, and the flag was raised yesterday. I don't know what's going to happen. Some crazy miracle could happen. I don't know. But either way, the scenarios are not good. And the focus has to be on the children of the Most High God in this country to become sober, to wake up, and to individually search our hearts before God and cry out for mercy that he would help us. Because that's the only thing right now, the serious, absolute, <laughs> I know people get tired of hearing some of the things we say. Because to them, what we talk about sounds really overburning, gloom and doom or whatever. Well, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Do you not see what's happening? Do you not know? We talked about it earlier. We've done our homework. We, we're not rookies to this. Uh, these things we're talking about. I've been in this personally, my wife and I, for 30-plus years. I've been studying these things since I was 14. I'm 60. That's 40. How many years is that? I can't even count that high anymore. 46 years. You know, when you know you're old, like when you when you buy something online and they ask you for your birthday and you got to scroll down to the year you were born, I just keep going and going and going. I'm like, my God, I'm old. Anyway, so <laughs> but I've been in this long enough to know that this is not anything that we have ever seen, at least not in the 60 years I've been around. And we've, we, we have searched and searched and we're pleading with people. It could be God's heart is this way. And like Brother Jeremy pointed out, when it came to Nineveh, that's true repentance of a Gentile nation. Eight words are recorded by the prophet Job of his message. Only eight words, but it brought down a, a haughty nation, and God spared judgment for a generation. The, 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 uh, Forty years later, the judgment ultimately came on Nineveh, but that generation was spared. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The question is, do we recognize it? Do we see it? And do we fully understand, or have we become so hard as to suppose ourselves to be something that we're not? And are we willing to take a a, a sobering look at what has really transpired in the history of our country just over the last 50 years to bring us to the point that we find ourselves in now within the community of the church I'm talking about. So let's go back to verse 2 of, of, of 59 so we can, get, we can hurry up with this because I don't want to keep people too long today. I know you got to get ready for turkeys and stuff, I think. So... In the next couple of days. Listen, are you there? Yes. 
Isaiah 59, verse 2, he says, this is, this is the problem. He says, it's your, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. It's your sin that have hid his face from you. And so he won't hear you. Now look what he says in verse 4. Can you read that, Brother Jeremy, real quick, verse 4? Yes. It says, none calleth for justice, nor any pleaded for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. That's what you were just talking about, false prophets, right? Even though we yeah. see the the corruption, they don't. What they don't address with their messages first. He says, "You trust in vanities. You speak lies. This is what you teach, and what you teach is empty. That's what vanities is, and what you speak are lies. You prophesy imaginations of your own heart. When the truth of the matter is, is you should be doing like Joel, right? Calling for justice, pleading for truth. What justice? What truth? Justice between you and God." And pleading for truth to rise within our hearts and minds and to take an honest, gut-wrenching assessment of where we are instead of, you know, flocking to these fly-by-night feather dusters called false prophets and preachers of our day. That's what you trust in is their lies because that's what you want to hear. Back in chapter 30, the, the, the people had become so crazy, they were already trying to shape the ministry into their own image. Brother Jeremy, look over there in, in, uh, in Isaiah 30. Look what they were saying to their ministers and what God says about them. Isaiah 30, verse 9 uh, through 11. Read that, would you? That this is a rebellious people, lying children, Children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits, get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, because the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us, cause the Holy One of Israel yeah. to cease from before us. Cause the Holy One of Israel. I mean, look at the progression. First of all, they're rebellious. They don't want to hear the word of the Lord, verse 9. Then, once that takes full control, they turn to those who preach the true word of God, uncompromised word of God, the prophets, he's saying now. Because the prophets were the ones who could see. The true prophets of God were the ones who could see. And what they saw caused them to shudder. And what they saw coming moved within them. Jeremiah described it. As, as he was like a drunk man, he reeled to and fro. He talked about the word, even though he tried to shut his mouth because he got tired of having to preach all this judgment that was coming. He said, even though when I tried to shut my mouth, he says, it's, true, it's like fire, man, shut up in my bones. The true prophets that were trying to warn them in their day and the same of the prophets that have gone before us in our time, it's the same attitude. And what they said to those prophets is what they say today even. Don't yeah. see and don't prophesy the right word. What we want to hear, they said in verse 10, are smooth things. <laughs> you know, your your best life now. That's what we want to hear, our best life now. You're an overcomer. You're above and not beneath. You're the head and not the tail. You're blessed in the city and blessed in the field. Your cupboard shall be overflowing. All the silver and the gold is mine. Uh, on and on. The blessings of Abraham are mine. Yeah, well, Abraham didn't live like you, fool. That's why he was blessed. Mm. Oh, mm. my God. Somebody shut me up. 
I'm getting Man. getting riled up here. Go ahead, brother. What are you brother, doing? In King James, in the, well, in, in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 31, when he calls out the prophets, the false prophets, he says, the prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. But this is what caught my attention. What will ye do in the end thereof? That's the question mm -hmm. that the prophet. Yeah. So you that are listening to these false prophets and that you say, oh, well, look, they prophesied this came through and, 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 and you want to hear this, then to them the question is the same to you. What will you do at the end of it? So that's oh. where we're at. That's what we're going to have to consider. Mm -hmm. That's what you're going to have to consider. And, you know, you, you, you know, uh, people can China, people can say we're crazy. That's fine. But in the end, what will you do? What a question by the prophet. Incredible. What a question Absolutely. to consider for us as ministers. Let me speak to you now as a minister, as a shepherd, right? You know, yeah. if, if after, after reading something like we read in Joel, specifically verse 17 when he speaks to the shepherd. If this doesn't move you to weep, Lord have mercy. If this doesn't move your heart to cry out, what will? I was reading it. I wanted to cry. I wanted to weep, you know, because I examined myself. I said, God, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it enough. Whatever it is, God, it's for your people that you're sheep and but I just wanted to point that out, Brother Marty, you know, the question that Jeremiah asked. All right, you want to believe all those – You want that's the way you love it, but, okay, at the end, what are you going to do? And, and the progression of what we're looking at, just as briefly what we're seeing right here in, in, in Isaiah 39 and what, what you said Jeremiah prophesied, who was a student of Isaiah's, by the way, uh, he, yeah. said, he said the, the progression of, of the culture, the first they rebel and become worldly. Then they don't really have a love for God's law anymore in verse 9. Then as they grow and it begins to blossom fruit in them, they begin to talk to the prophets, which are obviously still there warning them not to prophesy, not to look ahead and see what they say they're seeing, but to change their message and tell us nice things. We don't want to hear all that. But the fact of the matter is prophetic voices are a gift from God. It's part of the fivefold ministry, true prophets. Prophets are never celebrated in their times, trust me. But it's it's the generations that follow that look back and go, My God, that was a real prophet. That 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 prophet Jeremiah, that prophet Amos, that prophet Joel, they knew uh that they were and they look back and wonder how it is that their forefathers didn't repent at the powerful anointed preaching of these. But you see a society and the decline of a spiritual culture, it begins to then assert itself over the gift of the ministry and try to change the ministry that God has sent to it. That's what they did. And then verse 11, get out of the way. Now they begin to try and affect the personal life of the prophets that God sent to them, encouraging them to remove themselves from the intensity of what God has placed in their heart to say. It, it reminds me of the grace preachers today and, 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 and the others who, who, who seem to walk the thin line of, of preaching doctrines that teach us that we really aren't responsible for what we do. You know, I mean, you know, God's not concerned with that. It's all been done at the cross. 
you don't have any prison. As a matter of fact, if you try to, you know, suck it up and live right like the Bible teaches, it's just because you don't know. And it really has nothing to do. Oh, give me a break. See, that's, that's that same spirit we see here in verse 11. Get you out of the way. Get out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. That is a tragedy when we get to the place where, that's why we have mega churches today. You send a prophet in there like a brother Wilkerson or a brother Ravenhill or a brother Tozer or a brother uh, Havner, the prophets of old. You know, you send someone into those churches and they clear out in a heartbeat because they don't want to hear it. They don't want to see. And, it, and, it, and, if it was, and if it wasn't illegal, these false prophets will kill those prophets. <laughs> right. I agree mm. with you, brother. Because they did back then, right? Jesus said it. He, he told mm -hmm. the Pharisees yeah. of those days. Right. He said, you're right, the right. children of the ones who killed the prophets. And you're doing mm -hmm. the same thing. Incredible. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, Brother Jeremy, could you read that uh, in verse 13? Yes. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you as a breach, ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. Doesn't that sound like what we studied last week? As a snare shall it come. What he was saying was that the spiritual perverseness that pervaded his church at that time, he describes it incredibly vividly in that he describes it as the hedge and the wall that God has around our lives, our nation, our people, that the sheer reverberation of, of, of the compromise and the dual nature of their supposed consecration uh, would cause a steady chipping away at the wall and they don't even know it the wall of protection it's a, it's it's a, it's their own doing it's the fruit of their own behavior that begins to chip away at the protection and he says and when it breaks it will come suddenly to you in an instant it'll seem like it just happened but it didn't it happened over time it weakened over time, and it was a result of your rejection of the things that God is laying the case for in Isaiah 59. Let's take a look as we get ready to close here. Are you there, Brother Jeremy, 59? Yes, yes. Let's read that again in verse 4. None call it for justice, nor any plead it for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. Incredible. Again, they trust in vanities, they speak lies. He says at the precise time they should be reflecting and asking uh, for justice and pleading for truth, personally, individually, and collectively as the people of God. Instead, they turn to their false prophets and they trust in vanity, the false word, and the lies, and the prophets. And so then he begins to really unfold their behavior in verse 7 and 8. Can you read that for, for us, Brother Jeremy? Yes. <clears throat> the, their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, 
wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. If that doesn't sound like our country today, the first thing he identifies is the speed by which they're now engaged in evil deeds. Secondly, he draws attention to the shedding of innocent blood. They were offering their children to Moloch. They were taking their babies and, and killing them. They have shed innocent blood. That's what he's identifying with. You claim to be a, you know, God shed his grace on thee and God we trust, all that stuff. He says, but this is really how you act. And this is really why this has come upon you overnight. This is what we are seeing, church, right now take place before our very eyes. Whether you like it or not, whether you want to hear it or not, that is what's happening. The shedding of innocent blood since 1973. A hundred million, I think I've read reports, 60 million, a hundred million children sacrificed in the womb. And now we've reached such a state where Cuomo over there in, in, in New York signs a bill allowing abortion up until the ninth month of pregnancy. And then he, he, he lights the uh, so-called Freedom Tower and the, and, the, and the Empire State Building in pink to celebrate abortion rights. That was the first week of January, I believe it was, that happened of 2019. One year later, we're all under lockdown. Churches are shut. Economies have teetered. The King Cyrus of the, uh, of the extreme right uh, and his followers are now dismayed and in confusion and have no idea what's happened. And now the growing threat of a global reset, the enslavement of the whole world is just weeks away because America was the last place, like Judah was the last place, like Jerusalem was the last place. The last best vestige of hope and freedom for peoples had become so thoroughly corrupt that it literally, by, by sheer force of the spiritual reverberation that was sounding in the realm and dimensions uh, uh, of the spirit, began to chip away at the protective covering that God had put around the nation. And like Isaiah said, when it falls, it's going to fall hard, and it'll seem to you like it happened suddenly. But the truth of the matter is, is that you wouldn't turn. You corrupted every single thing that God sent to you and tried to warn you and plead with you and cry out to you in all the various ways that he tried to reach you, and you hardened your heart, you heaped to yourselves fault teachers, and you want to believe vanities and lies. And, and at the core, as God begins to strip away what's really been the covering of the hypocritical way in which all of us have lived, he says, look at this list, he says. And the truth is, if you continue to go down these crooked paths, you will find no peace. It's because these things are in place. Read to us verse 9 and 10, Brother Jeremy, would you? This is the therefore, therefore is judgment far from us. Neither doth justice overtake us. We wait for light, but behold obscurity. For brightness, but we walk in darkness. Verse 10. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. Lord. So verse 7 and 8, he's describing their behavior. Verse 9 and 10, he tells them, this is the result of your behavior. 
This is America right now. This is the compromised American church right now. The behavior has caused judgment to be far from us. Neither does justice overtake us. I've seen these guys over the last several months standing up, trying to demand their rights, right? Taking things to the Supreme Court. And we've got to have meetings in our church. You can't shut our church door. Never once did I hear them stand up. Big time preachers say, you know what, folks? It could very well be that our churches are shut primarily because God don't want to hear us anymore. Take away your noisome songs. Put away your stupid sermons and your false visions and your false dreams and your prosperity messages and your excesses and your worldliness. I don't want to see it anymore. And so instead of that, they they file lawsuits in our country to say, oh, man, we got to open these doors. It's all right. It's all right. But judgment is far from us, and judgment, a justice won't overtake us because we haven't been just. And we wait for light now. The whole QAnon movement, the whole, you know, Trump's got a plan, you know, this is all part of some incredibly deep, you know, multidimensional 5D chess plan. He's going to take care of the wicked. Well, what about us? We refuse to look at ourselves, even to this day. And because of that, oh, gosh, man, I've, I've, people are shutting down. <laughs> They're turning the channel now. I tell you what, uh, that's why he goes on to say, he says, man, we wait for light. We wait for something good to happen, but all we continue to see is obscurity. Does anybody remember Lock Her Up, 33,000 illegal emails? We're going to drain the swamp and on and on and on. What has happened? It's been four years. What's going on? We wait for light. All we get is obscurity. We look for brightness, but we walk in darkness. And the result is, is we're groping around like blind people because we have no answers. We need answers, yeah. right? <laughs> but there's no answer. Go ahead, brother. What are you going to say? No, that, that really, really hit me. They, they look for light. Uh, it's really just just going all over me right now because mm-hmm. exactly that's exactly where we're at as a nation and in particular uh the christians here in this nation yeah it's it's weird right like look to god <laughs> even <laughs> now right looking, yeah why are you looking for help from you know from egypt you're not gonna get it you're not gonna get it you know it's the weirdest thing but again it's it, it's this is the kind of mind that has been developed in mm, so-called Christians in America for the last, who knows, 50, 30 years, uh, where they are so far removed from what they think God is or should yeah. be. He's not there. We We need to go back to the beginning and find out who God is and search for him. And we're going to realize who we thought he was or where we were seeking for him. He isn't there. Right, brother. And I suppose that's the thing that gets me up early every day. I fear for my soul. It should, it should, it should all of us. Yeah. It should all of us, brother. Uh, we, we reached, we reached a place, you know, uh, I was telling my wife, you know, uh, she was reminding me, you know, of my salvation and, and how I got into the word. And I wouldn't leave that book. You know, I wouldn't leave the word of God. 
it's it's what it's what's kept me here. And it might have looked extreme back then. And I look back, I'm like, you know what? That should have been the norm. Yeah. Because but... the only way I'm holding on right now is because of that. Yeah. Barely. Barely. <laughs> you know exactly. What I mean? so imagine. So imagine people who, I mean, I don't know what they did with the Word of God, and where they're at today. Yeah. You know, incredible. Yeah, and that's what drives us, right? I mean, uh, and and I want people listening to to understand. You know, we're preaching to ourselves, always preaching to ourselves. But we're also, you know, very cognizant of the fact that many, many people are listening and the audience continues to grow. And and so we want for you to understand the compassion, the love, the peace, the struggle, all of it. We're in this together. And And, and truly a separation is taking place. There's the serious who are beginning to wake up. And again, we move, whether it's by fear or just by sheer terror, whatever it takes for me personally, I'm just you know, telling you about me. Like Brother Fernando said, we've got to have the word. We've got to be in prayer. We've got to force ourselves, if necessary, to turn off the stupid TV, to, to you know unplug the phone, turn off your computer, and get on your face and seek God. Because nothing, anything less in these times that are ahead of us. And again, we're talking just days now. We're not talking 10 years down the road here. I hope you understand. I hope you can see. We're talking a matter of days and weeks before this thing kicks into high gear. It's coming like lightning speed. Well, you're scaring me. Well, good. I'm scared. I'd be lying to you if I didn't say I wasn't. And I know more than you, most of you at least. God forgive me for being so humble. Listen, and I'm scared because I know what I've been studying and I know what I'm hearing and I know what I'm seeing. And I'm asking God, please, God, help me. Help me to be the man of God you want me to be. Help me to take care of my family. Help me to be serious. Help me to understand what you're saying so that we can help others as well. And, and, and you know, if I look like the guy and our brothers look like the guy that are running around with our hair on fire, well, so be it. I don't care anymore because I'm tired of all the compromise I've seen. The very kind of compromise that almost killed me when I looked to my leaders and found out they, they had clay feet. When they preached stuff to me that they themselves couldn't even live and they had no uh, compulsion about standing up in front of people when the truth of the matter is that they were living behind the scenes like devils and continued to persist in their weakness and yet were so enamored by their own kingdoms and the amount of uh, debt that they had incurred uh, by stroking their ego and becoming the most famous, biggest whatever in the church, only to crumble and fall and shake the faith of so many all over the world. And I'm seeking God now saying, God, help us all. Because we as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we cannot look to these institutions anymore. They're absolutely corrupt. And like Brother uh, Fernando just said, why are we looking to the world anyway? This world is not our home, and the systems of men are all coming down. Even the best of us who have thought and hoped that maybe something could happen 
have had to admit that we have reached times where even when light is 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 shined on darkness, it goes on to talk about what he says in verse. Uh, what does he say in verse uh, fourteen? Would you read that to us, brother Jeremy? Verse fourteen and fifteen. And judgment is turned away backward, and justice and justice standeth afar off, for truth is fallen in the street. And equity, equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departed from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. There it is, what he says, what Isaiah said, truth is fallen in the street. You know what, that, what he was literally saying was that, was that uh, it, it speaks of the weakness of a man's legs that no one uh, uh, could uh, uphold truth, even down to the regular citizen, that, that there was no strength to uphold truth and in his time because it requires a, a backbone. It requires strong legs to dig in and, and the sure foundation of the holy prophets of old and apostles and our Lord himself, paragons of, uh, of, of the scripture, you know, which is why we quote their words given to them by the Holy Spirit. But he says, that, that uh, truth had fallen in the streets. Judgment is turned away behind us backward. And, and, and justice is afar off. Brothers, all that's been exposed in this, this since the election, uh, for example, again, I'm not trying to talk politics, but it's obvious. Everywhere we turn, we're being told the entire thing was a farce, was a fraud. Where's the strength to overturn it? Instead, we're waving white flags and saying, well, go ahead and have it. You're going to steal it, steal it. They've done it so much in our face. You have to conclude this is the devil. And this is the time. Truth indeed has fallen in the street. And justice is far away. There is no justice. Our court systems are corrupt. Yeah. By political appointees, right? I mean, nobody's. You know, it doesn't even matter if you lay out a case, uh, you know, airtight, legal, and, and, and just case. They overturn it. They kick it out. It is so bad. And it's precisely what I think we have to conclude. Jeremiah did it in his day. The prophet did it in their day concerning their very own nation. America is the most wicked and corrupt nation in the world. That is hard for people, especially that live here, to fathom. But that's the truth. And we don't stay, we live here. <laughs> we live in America, right? But that's where it's at. That's how far it's reached. You're talking about 60 to 100 million children in the womb and abortions are essential while this pandemic is going on? No. And, and so you go down the list. You go, you go down the list of the sins of this nation and what we mm -hmm. are uh, uh, sending out to the rest of the world and corrupting the world. Insane. 
Yeah, brother. And, and what you mentioned there about the abortion thing, I read an article where it said that 66% of the women in a blind survey in abortion clinics on the, you know, the day they went in to get their abortion, 66%, almost seven out of 10 of them said they had a faith in God. <laughs> so it ain't all these, these feminine, feminist women getting these abortions, especially if seven out of 10 of them claim some sort of faith in Christianity and, and the Christian God. This is rampant in the church. And and that tells me that we're in deep, dire trouble. And it's been coming for years, for decades, like you said. And when you call America the most wicked nation, I know what you mean. And I just want to clarify that uh, we love this country more than anything. I mean, I've traveled the world, like we've said many times. I've preached all over the world. I've been in some of the hardest, uh, most... <laughs> you know, evil places uh, and dark places of the world. And there had crusades and watched the light of the gospel. But to see what really third world nations look like from Africa to South and Central America and, and, and even walking the streets of China, like I've said, or Buenos Aires, I was thinking about that today, some of the more uh, avant-garde cities around the world. It doesn't matter where you go. When you come into the United States and you cross into her airspace, you know the difference between the home of the brave and the land of the free, as they say and the rest of the world. This was a gift to God. This great American experiment was allowed by God. It's forefathers, contrary to what the uh, modern day professor in universities will tell you, and it's filtered all the way down to elementary schools now where they teach our children to hate this country, where they remove prayer from the schools and no longer can you have a Bible study in many places without being kicked out from your high schools, but they'll let kids have a satanic Bible club or whatever, that satanic Bible that they follow. They just uh, sanctioned it. In, uh, in Arkansas, I think it was, and I'll have to check on that to make sure, but it's, it's one of the places where they allowed um, the satanic uh, uh, philosophy to be taught to elementary school students by way of coloring books. Well, when you call America the most wicked place, wickedness is determined by the light that you've had. Right. Right. And so this country has had more light than any nation on the face of the earth. We're not we're not downing America. We're we're trying to say we've we've come to the place now where what we're desperately trying to do is to speak directly, as long as these platforms are allowed and made available to us, to speak directly to our brothers and sisters and to somehow connect in, in the different ways we're trying, whether it's YouTube or Instagram or or here we are on iTunes, Facebook, whatever platforms we have available to us, this is what we're putting out right now. And we're we're trying to remember. say go ahead, brother. No, and Jeremiah, to clarify why America, the wickedness is, is, is reached, you know, the Lord, is because the other nations of the world, they serve their God. Yes. We are defying the God that we said established us. There you go. And Jeremiah said this, has any other nation changed their God? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He told Israel, you have. That's why the wickedness and the corruption in America is so great because of the extent of light that they have had and we've had. And, 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 and it's so bizarre, right? You go to yeah. the Middle East, they serve Allah. You go to, you go to China, they serve, they serve Buddha. You go, wherever you want, when it comes to America, the whole world knows. Where God is. Yes. 
I hope they do. <laughs> I hope they probably do. by now they don't. You know, well, they do. That's what we've done. And that's a really good point because that's another point we can point out in our discussion here is that have you noticed uh, in the closing of the churches, in the attacking of the most sacred traditions of our nation, Thanksgiving, Christmas, they're, they're, they're trying to rewrite the psyche. Mm-hmm. They're imposing themselves upon the very things that are set aside to celebrate one in Christmas, the birth of Christ, and, 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 and also another one, Thanksgiving, where we were meant to gather together and to pray and thank God uh, for the bountiful blessings he's given to our country. The God of the Bible, not the God of the Hindus or the, or the Tibetans or whatever, <laughs> go down the list, the God of the Bible. Almighty God, the gospel of Jesus Christ built this country. And I don't care what you liberal, lefty, crazy wackos say. This nation was founded by prayer and calling upon divine providence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That is life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Their creator. So this is what Brother Fernando means, right, when you say that we've sinned against light. Go ahead. No, it's in our founding document, you know, of the kind of nation that we were established to be. And everything, everything that we're doing right now is to go against that. that. So what, what can God do? You know, he hides himself. Yeah. He has to. He has to. He has to remove himself from such a nation, you know. And and we sense it. We were sensing the removing of God's spirit from this nation. Yes. You know. And and do we have eyes to see what's taking place? There is a war taking place for this nation. We don't have the strength to combat it. So what are we to do? We don't have the strength as a, as a nation, meaning, meaning, you know, the population doesn't know what to do. But what is the church being called to do in these times? We're seeing it. Do we fight back? Do we hit the streets and protest? <laughs> do, do we arm ourselves? Because all these kind of thoughts are, are going around, if we're honest. Yeah, the reality of what's taking place. There's many people that are about to make decisions. They're making decisions based on what they think is going to happen, what they feel is going to happen, or maybe they misinterpret what they read in Scripture about what's going to happen. We need to know exactly what Scripture is saying through the examples that we're reading here through the prophet Isaiah of what God is calling his people to do. Because otherwise we're going to be fighting a fight that we're not supposed to be fighting, and it could cost us our lives. Powerful. Jeremy, could you read verse 15? Because that goes right along with what Brother Fernando is saying. Yes. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departed from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him Mm. that there was no judgment. What Isaiah is revealing there is that there would be some that would begin to awaken and that they would turn away from evil. That is the hope that we have in right now. Yes. 
is that God is speaking to all of us, and we've all got things that we need to, you know, individually. I'm not going down a list because you know, I know, and and if you don't know, just ask Him, and He'll show you. So that we can depart from evil. But he talks about the separation here, right? He says, those that will begin to take it to another level with God, basically, to put it in modern English, they will become a prey. They will become singled out. And it's this very thing. It almost harkens, if you can hear it in the spirit in which Isaiah is speaking, to what the Lord said is going to happen. That except those days be cut short, no flesh would be saved, he says, but for the elect's sake. Those days will be cut short. That's basically what you see here because God goes on to say that, that those that depart from evil become a prey. But then it says, but the Lord saw it. It displeased him that there was no judgment. So what does he do in response to that, Brother Jeremy? What does he say in verse 16? And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him. And his righteousness is sustained him. It sustained him. Praise God. So what Isaiah was revealing there in talking about humanity as a whole was that he's letting us into the lament of the Father, of God himself, and he wondered that there was no intercessor. So he says, so he himself brought his arm he brought salvation and righteousness, and that sustained God from destroying the entire planet. Basically, he's referencing the first coming of the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ came. It sustained things. So in the first coming, he stands and provides himself an intercessor. Now, now stay with me. And, and he describes in the first half of verse 17 what he would do. Read the first half, Brother Jeremy. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Where are you at? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm reading from this <laughs> one. Sorry about sorry about no seventeen. For he put Attention. on <laughs> for ahead, he put on righteousness for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation upon his head. All right. That's the first part of his mission, he says. So the solution, as the Bible says, in the fullness of time, was that God provided the intercessor. It sustained him. And it, it prevented an absolute destruction of humanity. In his first coming, he became our righteousness and he became our salvation. That's what he's saying. That's Calvary. That's how he answered it the first time. But now he then goes in the last half of that, uh, verse 17. He says, this is what's going to happen in the end. Because the intercessor is going to come again. The Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Can you read the, the last half? This time he's not going to be coming with the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. He's not going to be doing Calvary again, brothers. This time when he comes, what's he going to do? He will, he will put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Hallelujah. 
Glory to God. He's coming, church. Yes. That's what he's telling us. He's coming. And he's coming to put an end to it this time. Calvary itself was a stay of execution for the planet. So that both Zion and Jacob could be saved. And he says, what he's coming to do and all this stuff we've been describing, the global conspiracy, all this stuff, you know, the the nations of the world, the one world government, all that stuff. He's coming and he's wearing the garments of vengeance this time. He's coming as judge. And and what's he going to do in verse 18 and 19, Brother Jeremy? According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will repay recompense. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, hallelujah, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. If you don't think the enemy's coming in like a flood right now, from the east to the west, they're going to know who the Lord is. That's our hope, church. With all the heavy stuff we've been laying down today, it lead, it's leading to this. It's mm-hmm. leading to this. Right. We are the most privileged generation that has ever lived in the history of mankind. As privileged as, of course, Calvary and the resurrection and the early church had that privilege of seeing the Lord and, and, and becoming the church of the living God. We, at the end of time, are the most privileged because he's coming to put an end to this madness. He's coming to rescue his church. The enemy has come in like a flood, and it will overflow the whole world. That's what, that's what, that's what Isaiah goes on to, see, to say, and he brings us encouragement in verse 60. What is, I mean, chapter 60, verse 1 and 2. Read that, Brother Jeremy. Arise. Shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For, behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. A level of the presence of God is coming upon us in these final days, that the glory of the Lord will be seen upon his church. Those who love him, those who know him, shall do exploits. <laughs> His people. Yes, darkness is here, and it's going to cover the whole earth. It already has and will increase. But he tells his people, you will rise and shine. He says, for the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. A light and a distinctive difference between the children of light and the children of darkness is going to be seen he he says he's putting on his garments. He's on his way. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And to us, he says this promise in verse 20 and 21. Would you read that, Brother Jeremy? Chapter 59. Yes. <clears throat> and the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth, 
shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. That's our promise, church. Verse 20, right? He addresses two groups of people, the Gentile church, Zion. That's David. Remember, David pitched a separate tabernacle from the tabernacle of Moses? That's Zion. Asaph was the doorkeeper. Remember we talked about that? That's what he's referencing. Zion, David's territory, the tabernacle of David, the church. And then he references Jacob. That's Israel. The two are going to be made one in verse 20. And he tells them that he's going to redeem them and come to them. And then he promises us in verse 21, the reward. That his spirit will be with us. His words will be in our mouth, and he will not take away his covenant from us. And he promises, which really brought tears to my eyes, that our children and our grandchildren, right? Your seed and your seed seed. That's the promise we have. He's going to keep our families, protect our families, protect our children, protect our grandchildren. You lay hold of that promise right now. I don't know what's going to happen in the coming days. I don't know what's going to happen in the government. I don't know what's going to happen going forward. But I do know what the word is telling us. Either way, what we are looking for is not hope in the systems of men or the backslidden church. We are looking for the coming of the Lord. I have a feeling he's putting on those those garments. He's about to saddle up a white horse, as they say, <laughs> and he's coming. But he promises that our children, our children's children forever, and us who call upon his name and seek his blessing, forgiveness, and deliverance, our destiny is to be with him forever and ever. And that's the hope we give. It absolutely blows me away that the church and many that we speak to, they lament when we talk like this, even though we point them to the coming of the Lord, right? Which should be the most glorious and happy thing you could say. (laughs) Right. Jesus is coming. Brother, share, share some final thoughts, would you, as we close today, both of you say something before we close. Brother Fernando, you go first and brother Jeremy. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, what does the Bible say? A prophet is not without a acceptance, except in his own country, right? Yeah. Um, God has voices all over this nation that are crying out to this nation. You know, my, my father was born in Mexico. And uh, I, was, I remember when I was a little kid, and I would tell my dad, Dad, I would tell, I told, I would pray to God, like, you know, why, why, why wasn't I born over there? <laughs> you know, and and I was born here in this great country. Praise God. And and I realize now that God in his foreknowledge knew what we would be doing right now. And uh we're crying out to this country. We're crying out to whoever <laughs> whoever will listen, you know. Um, right. God's people that are scattered throughout the nation and 
And uh, you know, you know, we had a uh, we had an email from uh, a lady in Canada, and she 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 wrote to us and said, you know, things are bad here in Canada, but she said, but my fear is for my sons in America. Wow. And I think they lived in Texas, she said. And, you know, she's outside looking in, and she sees what's going on. Wow. And our prayer is that we who are in this great nation, it's a great nation, the greatest nation ever, can begin to see and begin to pray, and maybe God will show mercy one last time. Lord. You know, and give us the opportunity to preach the gospel and have a, a door of utterance opened. Yes. That's our prayer. That's our intercession. Amen. Amen. And Brother Jeremy, before you before you conclude, uh, I just want to remind everyone, tomorrow we'll be uh, bringing forth a, a Thanksgiving message. We pray it will bless you. Uh, we will be uh, spending... Uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday with our families, and we pray you do the same. And so we we look forward to tomorrow's broadcast, podcast, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but we want to reflect on this great nation and and, and its hope, its promise. And uh, and as Jer- as Joel said, right, you know, if we approach the Lord the way He He laid it out for us, like Brother Fernando said, it could very well be that God will yet, even now, um, shine the light upon us all and help us to to preach this gospel while we yet have time around the world. But even if those days won't come, we know that the hope of all mankind remains the same. It's Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And we look for his return with all our heart, that our children, our loved ones, our families, and the days ahead will not have to be endured without his presence for that is his promise to those who love him and call upon his name so we just wanted to let you know again uh that tomorrow will be our last podcast uh, for the week of course as is our custom if something crazy happens which it could very well we'll be back on this podcast uh at least giving our thoughts for what we see but uh in the meantime that that that's really what we wanted to share with you so that uh so it won't take you by surprise if you tune in on thursday or friday and and uh, you don't find us there, that's why. Okay, Brother Jeremy, I'm sorry. <laughs> Praise God. I want to leave you with the scripture in, in First Peter, uh, something that the Apostle Peter reminded us in chapter 4, and I just want to read two verses, verse 18 and verse 19. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, it means that with difficulty, with with much hard work, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? He says, wherefore let them that suffer, and and I just want to clarify what he means and what he's not saying. He he says in verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. But yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. Let me go back to verse 19. Wherefore, wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God mm. submit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing. Mm-hmm. 
as unto a faithful creator. That keeping means deposit your soul, deposit your life to him. Commit yourself, your soul. That's what we're still, even it seems like all is lost, even to the very last moment, we're trying to appeal to you because we're fighting for the soul of our nation. We're fighting for your family. We're fighting for your children. If we are to suffer, which things are going to come hard, let us suffer according to the will of God, committing the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. May God bless you today. May God keep you. And as always, keep looking up.